start playing drums came when I was four years old and I saw Sheila E. And she was on MTV. I'm, if I remember correctly, it was a it was an award show. I feel like it was MTV and she threw her sticks up in the air. It was glamorous life. She was doing this crazy solo. And that's when I knew. This is a podcast called Walk, Talk, Listen. An attempt to connect people and make this world a bit better by sharing opinions and experiences based on the belief that everyone's perspective is true, albeit partial. My name is Maurice Blum, and I would like to welcome you to yet another episode of Walk, Talk, Hey everybody, this is another episode of the podcast Walk, Talk, Listen. And as always, I'm delighted with today's guest who will introduce herself. Shirazette, please go ahead. Hi, my name is Shirazette. She beats Tenon. I'm happy to be here. Thank you for having me. And um, well, the listeners know him, but maybe you don't know Shirazette, is that we are always really interested is in, you know, where were you born and raised and how did that might have informed about what you're doing uh, today. And, and you're many things. You're, uh, for one, you're a drummer, but you're also, you know, an educator, an author, a health coach, so many things. So, yeah, where did you grow up? And, and uh, did, you know, um, were you born there as well? So I'm born and raised North Carolina, a little country area, considered very rural, called Pleasant Grove. Mm-hmm. Um, I usually say Burlington, North Carolina, because nobody knows where PG is. That was that's what we call it for short. Uh, I grew up pretty much on a farm until my grandparents passed on my mom's side. My mother comes from um, sharecroppers, and my father was considered uh, the city the city guy growing up in Burlington, which is only like fifteen twenty minutes from Pleasant Grove. But um, I spent a lot of my time. In the country, I went to Pleasant Grove Elementary, mm-hmm. and there from there, uh, the feeder school, the feeder program put me into Woodlawn Middle School and Eastern Alamance. And Alamance County is an area that was actually uh, written and talked about in Alex Haley's Roots. So um, it has a rich history. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and, you know, if you think uh, back about your childhood and your upbringing, and you have to come up with you know a couple of words to to um yeah, to capture that you know what were those words uh, be was music About, already involved or is it really you know the you know being on the land and farming oh yeah so i would say it's a blend because my mm-hmm. parents uh were both musicians so my oh, dad okay. yeah yeah so my dad w- was a vocalist and i say was because yeah. my father is no longer alive mm-hmm. And my mom was also a musician. She played trombone and marched trombone wow. for a year at A&T State University, where she was oh. also the homecoming queen. <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. So I grew up with that influence. So the yeah. words that I would say are church, mm-hmm. um, nature, mm. and musical. 
and and I assume that especially I mean church and music are very connected I mean that's mm-hmm. probably where you learn to play an instrument or or not was it mainly singing actually actually no no so no because okay. that church back in the day when I was a little girl they mm-hmm. didn't have drums yet okay. so it was just body and voice and organ okay. um but I started playing drums when I was four because I was actually influenced by my parents going to sing in the choirs and they would travel from down south all the way up to the east coast um singing in different choirs and visiting different churches but the main influence for me to start playing drums came when i was four years old and i saw sheila e Uh and she was on mtv if i remember correctly it was a it was an award show i feel like it was mtv and she threw her sticks up in the air Mm -hmm. It was glamorous life. She was doing this crazy solo. And that's when I knew <laughs> <laughs> that I wanted to play drums. And, yeah. you know, I've heard music in the house ever since I was a child. Like before I was even out the womb, you know, my parents played all types of music for me. And they okay. told me that, you know, as a baby, they played music for me for me to go to sleep. Um, so, yeah, yeah, it was, hmm. it was multiple influences, but mostly Sheila E for the drums. Wow. Hey, you know what, what? what is so funny? I just told you before we started recording that I saw you for the first time at the City Winery. Um, but I also saw Sheila E for the first time at City Winery recently. Really? Yeah, I was always a fan, but I never saw her live. I always missed her at the North Sea somehow. I don't know why that happened. But uh, so that's that's crazy. Um, so, yeah. So how come that I understand that you you know, attracted to an instrument that, but that you make, make that your profession as well. So how did that happen? Um, that happened for me at a very early age with the influence of Sheila and, you know, my parents got this little beat up drum kit for me. It didn't really last long. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It fell apart, but, um, I started becoming even more interested in playing drums with um hearing man what was it it was this it was this band also that we were in burlington one time me and my mom and we were just walking uh, walking by downtown it was it was not late at night but it was nighttime and i heard these drums and this band playing mm-hmm. and she, we just found the entryway and it was this band rehearsing and i was probably like maybe seven or eight and they mm-hmm. let me sit in on the drums hmm. and i remember the guy showing me where the beat was and once he showed me i just started playing and he was like yeah that's it that's it um but i also was getting a, a different influence from the band program that was a feeder program so my my band director who became my band director mark hauser uh he would visit pleasant grove elementary school every other year mm-hmm. And so each time that he would come, he would bring the, the like jazz ensemble and I would lose my mind. <laughs> and, and I remember seeing the drummer at the time who became my marching band instructor, his name is Greg Harvey. And he was playing drum set 
And all of my peers in my class with me were like, hey, look, you said you're going to play drums. Look at that drummer. And lo and behold, when I got into sixth grade, which is when middle school starts in the South, because it's mm-hmm. kind of different for, for the North, um, I got to try out. And I remember my band director, Mark Hauser, saying, you have to play clarinet for two weeks. Mm-hmm. And then after that two weeks, you can switch and go into the back and play percussion. I was like, OK, deal. <laughs> and I counted down the days. And as soon as it hit week two, I, I raised my hand. I said, can I go to the back? And he just started laughing. <laughs> <laughs> and I headed straight to the back. Um, and then from there, I think he uh, saw a lot of natural potential potential in me. Um, and I became the first female drum captain for the marching ensemble by the wow. time I hit my freshman year in high school. Um, but also in, in middle school, I was starting to win like all county jazz band awards. Mm. Uh, I was in concert band, um, but there was also not, there was something kind of rare that I'm learning now that I'm older that I didn't understand back then is that the opportunities that were being provided to me aren't always the same across the board in different schools. So when I talk to my peers, they tell mm. me that, oh, I was made to choose between athletics and arts. And, you know, my program that I went to, they didn't make me do that. So for example, I started playing basketball at the age of nine. And I ended up playing AAU ball and I ended up playing basketball in middle school and high school, and they never conflicted. So whenever I had a concert or something, um, there was always a way to balance that out. So mm. not only did I have the musical influence, but I had the athletic yeah. influence as well. Yeah, yeah. So I was constantly busy with both those things, and I started running track. And whenever I had a marching band competition, um, I would get a sub to run hmm. my, my track events, you know? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so That's anyway, crazy. it was constantly, I say that to say it was constantly basketball band, concert band, marching band track year hmm. round. And then I would go to basketball camp in the summer. And then I would do band camp in the summer and the drum line. We would always meet a month before our high school marching mm-hmm. band would would come in to start rehearsing and we'd already have all the music memorized and learned by the time the rest of the band came in. <laughs> oh, wow. So is is um you know the fact that you were able to for a long time at least to combine the athletics as well as the music is that then also the reason are you still a health coach as well is that still something you're doing? Yeah, um, it yeah. is. Um I I I need to be careful when I when I state that. Um mm-hmm. so I, I was, like I said, I was very into athletics. I grew up with three brothers, three, mm-hmm. three older brothers. So I'm the baby. Constantly active. It, it seems Are you spoiled? Uh, no, I'm not spoiled. I'm the baby, but it, I'm the oldest. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's fun. I will start saying that. I'm also the youngest. So, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so... Um, I I mean I was I was spoiled a little bit as a little girl, but you know I was daddy's girl and mama's girl. But uh, I really think that they had a lot of experience with having three kids prior to me that they figured it out how to balance <laughs> and not and not spoil me to death, but spoil me enough. But if you let some people tell it in my family, I'm a princess. 
but <laughs> um but anyway so uh oh my gosh i lost my train of thought what was i talking about <laughs> <laughs> that's my fault um we were talking about health coach oh yeah yeah so as well as being you know very active it seems that my body gravitates toward that and i love being active so i i had to you know get stronger and faster and a little bit bigger for basketball and want to get pushed around pushed around um so i started lifting weights i think my junior no my sophomore year in high school and i realized i had a natural ability for it uh, and i started getting into understanding body mechanics I, i've always loved science and biology and how muscles work um anything involved with movement it mm. just fascinates me so i started studying bodybuilding and those things and you know i was born with asthma so mm. my asthma has always been a problem and then i discovered like if i don't eat certain foods i'm not as congested and you know i read about these studies in muscle magazines and um they were like oh you know these things cause inflammation don't eat as much of them and I started saw, seeing these differences in my mm -hmm. body and how it would form and how it would, would work, you know, when I had to run or had to play drums or had to uh, lift weights. And I, I, was, I got really into power cleaning, hmm. you know, so deadlifting and then power cleaning and pushing it over your head. And I won a weightlifting award my, was it my junior year or my high school year in high school? I can't remember. It was one of those years. Hmm. And I used to power clean 135 over my head and my, my, <laughs> my weightlifting coach had me squatting 300, you know, mm -hmm. not all, not all at one time, but you do a certain amount of reps that equal yeah, to yeah. 300, you don't hurt yourself. Um, and so that carried over for me when I walked on the basketball team at Appalachian State University, mm -hmm. where I also studied music and I got a full scholarship for one year to be a walk on for app and play, I played division one. Um, and, you know, I, I was like, how can I continue to do both? Cause I really love yeah. playing music. Um, but I also really love working out and, and taking care of people health wise and vice versa. So I decided to get certified. I got certified in 2008 because that was also, mm when I graduated with my master's from Northern Illinois and wow. I didn't have a lot of work because of 2008 being one of the worst years financially for people. Mm -hmm. um, I was like, okay, if I ever had to do anything other than music, uh, which I don't like to think like that, but I was like, what would I enjoy? So I got certified as a trainer, moved to New York. And while I was building my, my connections and, and performance opportunities with people, uh, I started working for New York Sports Club as a trainer. Hmm. And then from there, you have to, you know, renew your certification yeah, every two yeah. years. And then I got certified as a corrective exercise specialist. And then from there, every couple of years, I would, you know, learn new information. Hmm. And I, I said to myself, man, there's a thing here that a lot of musicians don't know about. So I started educating and training musicians on and off the road and using myself as the test dummy when I would go out and tour and trying to be creative with, you know, the environment that you're given when you're on the road, because not every gig, not every tour pays the same or has the same living situation. So 
I would go from a five-star hotel that had a whole gym layout to a little tiny room in Paris, <laughs> you know, <laughs> where I have only a chair. And it's like, how can I be creative and get my workout in and make sure I'm, you know, I'm doing functional exercises to keep my body uh, at, its, at its pristine functionality. And so, yeah, I... I started doing that and so that's how i got the title of health coach mm -hmm. but now apparently there's actually a certain certification to be called a health coach okay <laughs> which i'm actually it. working on to get yeah i didn't know it either back in the day mm -hmm. um you know i'm like i'm into health and i coach people so i'm calling myself a health health coach but to make myself legit mm -hmm. i'm actually in the process of getting a health coach um certification and i'm really excited that berkeley where I teach yeah. has approved a class that I wrote the curriculum for mm -hmm. about three semesters ago called postural Kin and kinetic awareness for the percussionist. Wow. And it, yes. And this semester is his actual first semester of being launched. Mm. And I have, I have it at full capacity. Like um, it, it filled up really fast and me and my students every Friday, we work on movement, stretches, foam rolling, all these techniques to to help them just prolong their playing life. Yeah. I hope that was enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's that's great. But you, you know, you, okay, you mentioned Berkeley. How did you get involved at Berkeley? How did I get involved at Berkeley? Yeah. Because I mean, for for the uh, maybe for the inter because I have a lot of international listeners as well. Mm -hmm. uh, tell a bit about the school because it's it's a very famous school in in uh, in the US, Berkeley? if not the most famous. Uh, yeah, yeah, it probably is one of the most famous or the most famous. Uh, Berkeley College of Music didn't fall into my lap, even though mm -hmm. it may appear like it did yeah. to some <laughs> people who don't know uh my background or my struggle mm -hmm. <laughs> um so there's a i'm gonna try to shorten this story okay. but uh the way berkeley came about for me actually starts with while i was in north carolina mm. while i was in north carolina i ran into a bass player named mimi jones i don't know if you're familiar with mimi but um she's amazing mm -hmm. And she lives in New York. And so um, that was probably, that was a long time ago. She told me that if I ever made it to New York to hit her up. And I did. And of course, the, the connection didn't happen immediately. It actually took like another year and a half before we actually connected. Um, and what made us connect is I started being asked to sub for a drummer that was playing with Tia Fuller. Um, and that all came about because I got asked to sub for the NAMM show, which is out in California, for the Beyonce band who was performing at NAMM without Beyonce. And so from that connection, I started working with Tia off and on, and then I did this tour with Tia. And while I did this tour with Tia one summer, we ended up at Umbria in, you know, in Italy for the Umbria Jazz Festival. And we played every night for, I think, nine or 10 days straight. And that's when I first met um, Ron Savage, who just so happens to be from North Carolina. 
<laughs> who is who yeah, at the time all was, the way in Umbria, right? Yeah, right, all the way in Umbria. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so we fast forward yeah. after I play off and on with Tia, I go back to Umbria with another artist, Alan Harris, who I started touring with, and I ended up being his musical director and touring with him for five or six years. And and so I would go everywhere with Alan. We would go Orvieto, all different parts of the world. And of course we end up back at Umbria. And this time I run into uh, Euron Israel, <laughs> who is currently the chair of Berkeley. And what happened was I got invited in between the time that I met Ron to come to Berkeley before I met Euron. I came to Berkeley for like a day and a half to just sit in and observe and do some clinic stuff. Mm -hmm. And that's where I met Sean Skeet and a few other people in all the departments at Berkeley. And, you know, they were like, welcome to Berkeley, gave me a sweater. <laughs> I thought it was signed, sealed and delivered, but then the hands changed and people switched mm -hmm. positions. And, and so it, it kind of got paused, right? So when I go back to Umbria with Alan a few times, I have now, I think my dad had passed away. And then this time my mom had passed away. Um, and so while I'm there, I literally had just buried my mom a week prior. Mm. And then I had to go back on the road. So this happened in 2019. Um, we bury my mother. I fly out to go back on the road. And... I'm talking to Yaron Israel's wife. <laughs> <laughs> and she's and she finds out I'm from North Carolina. She's like, oh, you're a homegirl. So she just starts calling me homegirl, you know, and we hit it off. And she was, you know, asking me who I was here with. And so by that time, I think my name was circulating enough mm -hmm. and I had, you know, done enough to where people were like, oh, okay, cool. Let's check you out. I don't know. Who knows? I don't know what mm -hmm. discussion was going on. This is just my hypothetical perspective yeah. of it <laughs> so she was like okay you know what i'm gonna make sure Euron knows about you blah 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 blah. and then she reintroduces me to Euron, and he's like yeah i know she was that you know and he was like yeah you know if and when there's a need at berkeley you know we'll definitely keep you in mind and i was like okay and you know i never pressed the issue about it because my parents had always told me that when it's your time it'll mm. happen you know yeah. you got to be patient everything happens when it's supposed to don't look at what somebody else is being given. Your blessings are coming. And my blessing came the, the, the weekend of my honeymoon. Mm. <laughs> I got married yeah. and we were having our honeymoon in P-Town. It was 2021. Um, so 2019, 2020, 2021, this whole development happened over years ago. So basically the development of Berkeley took about six or seven years. Mm. And Euron calls me up and he says, hi, you know, got a position for part time. If you'd be interested, um, let me know. And I said, OK, I need to talk to my wife. Um, we're on our honeymoon. <laughs> Can I call you back? <laughs> you should and not have I, picked up the phone, actually, you know, during your honeymoon, right? Yeah, but it was him. It was him. And I was like, I need to take this call. You know, she was like, OK, yeah. I understand. But, you know, she's also an artist. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it was signed, sealed, and delivered. Like, she's definitely going to answer the phone for the right person. Mm -hmm. um, so I answered, and 
I talked about it with her and then lo and behold, they hired me. I, I worked part-time yeah. for only one semester and then they considered and asked me to interview for full-time and I did it and it was the right timing, you know? And I, I also feel as though if it would have happened sooner than that, I wouldn't have been able to handle it, not with my touring schedule and having two sick parents, mm. you know, and yeah. and dealing with the stuff that I had to deal with. I wouldn't have had the, the head capacity to really give the no. students what they needed from me, you know. Mm. And, and that's where we you do the interview now it, at, uh, at the, the Berkeley College? Yes. So right okay. now I'm yeah. in my office. These are my drums that you're mm -hmm. looking at. Um, it's, it's and we hear in the background mu music going on, right? Yeah. 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 yeah so yeah, right yeah. next door, there there's a, a, a shed going for like the hip hop um, lab. Mm -hmm. So one of the teachers is teaching hip hop grooves and it's literally right across the hallway. Yeah. yeah. So so obviously you like teaching, I, I assume, because otherwise you would not be doing it. What, what is attracting to you to teaching? Wow. Um, well, <laughs> I, I don't know if I necessarily like teaching. I love giving back. Hmm. I love giving back because I had experiences where I was on both ends of the stick where people would share information with me to help me get better. And I also experienced situations where because of not enough diversity or inclusion, I got excluded from certain things. And I didn't like that feeling because I didn't grow up in, a, in an environment that lacked love or care or information. I grew up in an environment that lacked financial support, but all the other things I had. So when I see somebody that wants to learn, and my mom was also going to school to be an educator, I feel like part of that comes from her. And the way that I was raised is you don't withhold information, mm. you know, especially the society, being a person of color, having those experiences, it's taught me that anytime I can share or help someone, someone be as good or better than me, I love that opportunity. So I, I love the sharing of information because my, my students also, share things with me you mm -hmm. know they give me concepts and help me to see things or even technique or stickings or feel from a perspective that i might not think about you know mm -hmm. so i i love i love sharing information and being at berkeley feels like it doesn't feel like a it doesn't feel like a job it feels mm -hmm. like a, a lifestyle right i i wake up and I go into my office and it's a whole drum kit there <laughs> that I get to explore, you know, and it's like, man, God, thank you. I remember the times where I had to be in between gigs working for Apple, coming off the road, Ubering, door dashing, mm -hmm. you know, taking all these freelance gigs and having to work all these different teaching jobs and, you know, to, to have this blessing and to thrive off of that, it definitely allows me to love what I want to call being a drum philosopher, you know? Mm. So I feel like I'm, what is it? I'm, I'm professing about the drum now.
and and uh, what what do you uh, want people to know about what you have discovered so far? Oh wow! That it's it's probably not anything new that I'm gonna say, but I've learned that there's never a moment where you can't change your mindset or your concept you know i think i'm i'm learning that there truly is more than one way to play to to approach a rhythm there's more than one way to write a chart for the same song uh there's more than one way to fill the beat. And I already kind of knew a lot of these things, but being reminded of them and also learning that all my students are so different, you know, I have to I have to be flexible. So I think I've learned that the more flexible and the more I can bend like bamboo, the more alive and youthful and happy I'll be, you know, if I if I grow older and continue to be, if I try to go against what the world is giving me, I think it would be a battle. So I'm learning to go with, mm. with the environment instead of the, against the environment. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. If um, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. No, no, it does. Um, yeah. But what I would like to ask you, because, you know, I, I think these are also opportunities for my guests who you know, to share something, a project, um, you know, a, a book that might be working on, and, you know, in your case, maybe an album. Yeah, if, if I would ask you to pick one thing uh, that you would like the listeners to know about, is there a new album coming or, you know, a new tour or you want to say oh, something yes. about, you know, the lessons that you give to your, to your, um, um, the, the students? I think I want to talk about the new album that I have in the vault. Ah. <laughs> As your eyes light up. <laughs> I I started working on this album during the pandemic and many things paused it. But uh, I'm a, I'm excited to have it come out goal in my mind right now is to have it probably release in the fall of 2024. Mm. I'm really excited about it because it, it features Christian McBride mm. and um, Miki Hayama as well as another basis Nimrod Speaks. They're all originals that I wrote. Wow. Um, yeah, so I'm, I'm happy about it and nervous mm -hmm. about it at the same time. Yeah. <laughs> Have, yeah. you, have you been playing some of those songs live already? I have. I have. There's some of the songs you can listen to them. If you check out the New Orleans Jazz Museum, mm -hmm. which two summers ago I played there and I played a few of the songs uh, with a, a, a version of the group that included my wife, Caddy Rodriguez, who now goes by Orange Coffee and Noah Garabinian on bass and Brittany Anjo on piano. Mm -hmm. My, the, the regular group is Miki Hayama and Nimrod Speaks. 
Um, but I, I vary between Mickey and Brittany most of the time. I it's hardly ever that I can get Christian McBride. I've only been able to get Christian for the actual recording session. Yeah. <laughs> He's so busy, you know. Yeah. But but Nimrod is a gem, and I'm, I'm always happy to have Nimrod on the gig. Amazing. Okay, I'm, we we are all looking forward to that, and we will check out, you know, a couple of of. Uh songs that that are out there i will make sure that it's all mentioned in the podcast notes um and and you know people should check out and and buy the you know your your previous uh albums as well on all the music right so that's necessary yes, to keep you going um, thank you hey um I, I would like to go slowly um to the questions that i always ask to my guests uh you might know or you might not know that this podcast is a spin-off of a hundred mile walk that I started in 2012. And, uh, yes. you know, and, and during those walks, I'm accompanied sometimes by people. We talk about life, um, but during the, the pandemic, yeah, I still walked, but I could not be accompanied by, by, by other folks. So then I thought, okay, I, I start virtually walking. So, and then it has gone out of hand already. Um, we are at episode 144, I, I think. Um, so the questions we, we, when I walk with others, we talk about, we think about life, uh, what's the purpose, you know, um, all, all those type of things. So my, the first question that I have about a virtual walk is for you, if you would be asked to walk 100 mile in a week, so 15 to 20 miles a day, which is physically no problem, you're fit. We've we've understood that, uh, but for which cause would you walk, and why? For which cause would I walk? Yeah. Could I have more than one cause? Sure. Okay. The first cause I would walk for is cancer, mm -hmm. um, specifically lung cancer, because that is what uh, took my father. Um. And I, I believe that cancer is really affecting a lot of families in a, in a way that unless you go through it, you really don't understand. You know, my, my father went from singing in the church to losing his voice one day and thinking that he only had laryngitis. Mm -hmm. And it turned out he had throat cancer. He beat it for a year and then it came back and spread mm. to his lung. Um, the radiation is actually what killed my father because his throat closed up and he had to wear a trait. And due to that issue, he could no longer eat food and he had to be fed through a feeding tube. And it was the hardest thing to see my dad go from this durable, independent, older man, all the energy in the world, always went outside every day, worked in the yard, to not even being able to get up out of the bed after, you know, developing cancer again. And it just, because he couldn't do chemo, because he had a, an, an allergic reaction from the radiation with the mm -hmm. chemo the first week, it, it caused it to his throat to close up. So I would definitely walk more than 100,000 mm -hmm. miles for that cause mm -hmm. 
to make sure that no one has to go through what I went through with that. The other cause that I would walk for would be uh, diabetes because that's what took my mother. Mm. Three years later, and my mom started um, experiencing a lot more illness while my dad was sick, which which makes sense because, you know, she's stressed out. And I saw my mother go from having 100 percent eyesight to the diabetes eating away at her eyesight Mm. and also the combination of the medications, you know, taking one med for the diabetes and then that medication would react with her kidneys. So my mom ended up having to be on dialysis Mm. all because of diabetes. And, you know, it's like, wow diabetes isn't very understood we think that diabetes is only because people don't eat correctly but it's it's not true like some people just their their insulin levels just change and they're not able to create insulin um and not only did i lose my mom to that but my brother passed away in in november 13th Mm. from diabetes Mm, so it's yeah so you know those causes I, yo, if my legs could work long enough, I would mm-hmm. run. <laughs> I prefer to run anyway. I don't like walking. <laughs> I would run a million miles if that would make a difference. You know, if yeah. that would, yeah. Yeah. No, I, I understand. And, and yeah, the, the listeners know I, I lost my parents. Uh, well, my, my father due to prostate cancer, my mom, a combination of, of things um, included. Uh, Alzheimer, um, but she also had cancer. So, yeah, totally yeah, so relate you... with your story. Thanks for sharing, and so sorry to to hear that. Um, is you. is that also to go back to your health? Is that also then the reason that you are so much into health? Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it it affects me to a point to where I became a little bit of an extremist <laughs> at first, and I had to mm. figure out how to come back to the middle middle because. I was creating stress for myself because, you know, it made me scared. I was like, oh, my gosh, I I would prefer to go out in any other way than those ways mm-hmm. because I've witnessed it. And it's not, you know, it's it's hard. It's hard yeah, to yeah. see that. Uh, yeah. So, yeah, it's it's definitely affected my my mindset and my body, you know, um, but you have to have moderation. So I'm, I'm learning to do things in moderation. <laughs> OK, OK. Um, you know, the, the other, uh, question or, or topic that comes up when I'm walking is about, okay, why, where, why are we on this earth? Um, you know, and, and so then we talk about, uh, religion, spirituality, um, and then often discussions about the younger generation that they seem to be maybe different than the older generation. Because you see, we're not worldwide, uh, maybe less people are going to church, more, you know, maybe an individual focus. Um, again, I hear different opinions. What I would like to ask you is, what do you see among the younger generation in your community in relation to religion and spirituality? You know, are they still 
religious? Are they spiritual? Do they go to church? If not, what do they do? What do you see in your community? Um, in my community, I see a mixture of things. It also depends mm -hmm. on, I, I, I'm, I'm in so many different cultures and communities mm -hmm. because of music. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I belong to Emmanuel Baptist Church, and there's still a lot of young people in Brooklyn that are mm -hmm. going to church. But I also think, I think it depends on how you're being influenced as a young person. Mm -hmm. Um, I also live in a church in New York, which is an Episcopal church where me and my wife got married. And, you know, there's a lot of young people involved at that church. Uh, I, I see a variation of things. I, I see more people practicing blended religions or, mm -hmm. or blended beliefs. You know, you, you hear of Christian Buddhas and you're people that believe in God, but don't believe in necessarily every detail of the Bible and how it pans out. Um, some people are just affirming they wake up and they affirm you know and start their day uh but personally for me I, I wake up and i start my day by just being grateful and thanking god for what i do have and i i do believe with all the loss and things that have, have occurred for me and, and for many others the more grateful i am and the more i focus on the positive it helps me get through the hard times um and i i also think you know that young people these days are probably being a little bit more aware of their beliefs sooner just because of social media and and the access so i think you find quicker shifts in thoughts and beliefs so uh yeah so i'm seeing a mixture of things <laughs> yeah okay one question that i always ask because you know as you know music is very important to me Yes. Um, so I always ask a question about uh, music as well. So if I ask you to mention a song or a piece of music that embodies for a big part what you are about, which song or piece of music would that be? Oh. And why? Yeah. <laughs> That's a hard one. You want me to answer that really quick? Okay. Um... Man, I have a song for each genre, but right now I'm uh, I'm playing a lot with Dee Dee Bridgewater. Mm -hmm. So there's a song that we do called Trying Times. And I feel like that's where I'm at right now. Mm. <laughs> yeah. You know, Roberta Flack version. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I, I, I've seen you in, uh, here in, in New York at the, um, a Birdland. So it was, a, it was an amazing uh, concert. So... And, and why 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 that song at this moment uh because i feel like i'm definitely experienced a lot of things that are trying to try me <laughs> <laughs> and and the the nature of the world right now is very intense you know i i believe that a lot of people who have been in their bubble thinking that racism and sexism and, and women's treatment didn't exist until social media is like, hey, we're still here. Yeah, we've been here for a long time. You know, I'm growing up as a Southerner. And I remember as a little girl being called the N-word mm -hmm. or, you know, hearing about people of color still being hung or killed because of things of that nature related to what people think didn't exist. But it's like, no, you just 
hadn't experienced it yet or it didn't hit your your backyard so yeah okay. that's why this okay. song resonates yeah. with me right now um you know i i i um yeah first of all i would like to remind the listeners uh that i made a, a spotify playlist of all the songs that are have been selected by my guests so if you go to hashtag walk talk listen you see the playlist and it's full of different music from jazz to classical you know R&B folk um it's it's awesome i i love listening to it because it, it reminds me again you know about my about my guest um when, when you talk about you know there are still a lot of problems out there um for me you know my my field is the NGO sector. We're trying to come up with making this world, you know, uh, better in different countries, including the US. Um, and we, so what I always talk about with my guests is to see if they are aware about the sustainable development goals. And those are 17 goals that have been developed uh, by actually the world, you know, uh, discussions took place uh, around the world and they said, well, we need to come up with these girl with these goals because our world needs to be more sustainable. Goal one is end poverty as the sustainable goal. Number two is end hunger. You know, five is uh, equity. Um, so my question to you is: Had you heard about the sustainable development goals? Um, and yeah, what do you think? What are your thoughts about it? What do you think the listener should know about it after you heard me uh, say this? Well, I will say I definitely tr try to do my part to sustain, mm -hmm. you know, um, and, you know, there's a saying that if you're waiting on somebody else to start doing it, mm -hmm. then you're going to be in the same cycle. So I, I try to be conscious of not running the water mm -hmm. while I'm brushing my teeth, you know, waiting till I'm done brushing and mm -hmm. then using the water. I try to recycle the same bags, mm -hmm. you know, uh, when I'm asked if I want a bag when I'm at the store, I'm like, no, um, I'm also practicing not eating as much meat to, mm -hmm. to not leave a, a larger carbon, carbon print, yeah. you know? Um, so yeah, I definitely think sustainability needs to be an important factor, but we also live in an environment in a society in America where Unfortunately, if you don't get out to see other parts of the world and how they function, we think our way is the right way and the only way to do things, mm. and it's not okay. Mm. Um, you know, I'm probably not going to make any friends today when I say that. But <laughs> no, no, but it makes yeah, no, it makes yeah. a lot of a lot of, of sense. Um, actually, what's interesting, you know, is that if you look at the sustainable development goals they are talking about you know system changes that are necessary in in this world right so so uh, if you if you think about hunger okay you have to to revamp the food system if you think about equity you need to look at you know power structures and name it and and there is a growing group of people that are saying okay this is all important but one of the reasons that we are not reaching those goals because they were set for 2030 um has to do with the fact that um, you know, we as individuals and as communities are not paying attention to the abilities and skills and knowledge that you need as an individual, as, as a community to make those changes, uh, you know, reality. And, and what you are mentioning has to do with that. So, you know, you're working on an individual level at it, uh, you know, makes a lot of sense and not one person will make a difference. 
but many you know individuals ultimately uh, probably can and and they so the, the folks called this the inner development goals so they're identified five goals being thinking relating collaborating and acting so those are the five uh, goals that they identified that you need to work on as an individual as well as community so you know things like empathy critical thinking uh are, are important so so um anyway this is this is always my little time where i try to push people to if you don't know about it check it out at globalgoals.org or innerdevelopmentgoals.org um so yeah th thanks for sharing that and and awesome that you that you do it um i also believe shira said that that um you know this world needs more you know understanding uh, that we are not all the same and and you do that by maybe connecting people so i hope this this podcast is contributing that to connecting people um and and maybe you know you don't uh, agree with what shira said uh, said but i'm i'm 100% <laughs> sure that there will be something that you agree with and that's the could be the beginning of a, of a conversation and a dialogue. So right. um, I always have a question then of the previous guest. This is making me think of you know population control. Like populations are rising all across the world, but a lot of people are not wanting to have children and start families anymore. Um, what what can we do to combat? some future population decline? And do you think that we can combat climate change in enough time to make a sustainable future for the youth? And what does that future look like based on statistics, say in 2050 or 2080? What do you think that looks like? <laughs> And I said, I said to Andrea, oh, wow, that's a tough question. I'm happy that I don't have to do it. And she said, you know, my, my girl Shira said, we'll, we'll nail this. So here you are. <laughs> I got this. I got this, Andrea. So to address the first part, um, mm -hmm. the global population's declining interest in starting families. I think the infrastructures of career paths and jobs need to adjust how they view uh, pregnancy, how they view leaves of absence, how they view the environment that excludes children to be at the workplace. Uh, because I've experienced a lot of artistic worlds where children are allowed to be at the workplace. And I think it makes a better environment for both. Um, you know, I, I think there's too much of a separation of 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 work and home and if they were a little more intertwined you know have daycare on site um employ employ teachers on site why why couldn't it be an environment where while the parents are at work <laughs> the children are learning at work with teachers you know homeschool there's so many ways to change up the system but i think we get stuck in this box of how we how the government and i'm talking about the us only because i'm pretty sure there's places where these things are being implemented i just met a friend 
two weeks ago who homeschools her kids mm. and she has a nanny so that when she has to go and travel and do and do things weekly mm. as an artist you know as a as a health practitioner there's constantly somebody with the children you know if we change our mindset of what we believe is the structure of a woman having to be at home or, or you know the husband always having to be at work and really start to think outside of the box and be more flexible and think of new ways to practice flexibility i think it would encourage more people to have kids also salaries need to increase you know nobody wants to sustain a child with the raising prices just to, to put one one child in school so there's a lot of things that need to to be adjusted in our infrastructure, our, our, our views of financial capitalism, you know, and, and diversity and inclusion in general. Um, additionally, she asked, do you believe we can effectively combat climate change in time to, to ensure a sustainable future for our youth? Uh, yes, I, I firmly believe that all things are possible through works and manifestation, especially when you have God on your side. Uh, but if you have people that, you know, don't believe, you have to get the right people on the team that want to move forward. Um, so, yes, I absolutely think climate change can, is impossible. But there needs to be an education done in the schools and even to adults who aren't in school anymore to educate and to re-educate. And then you have to be open to take in the new information, right? Um, and she asked, how might statistics shape our expectations for 2050 or 2080? That one I can't add, answer because numerically it depends on the behavior or the change that needs to occur. If that, if that behavior or change moves only 20%, then that's going to shift the number by X amount of numbers. So I can't really answer that one. <laughs> Okay. Okay. Great. Wow. Um, uh, yeah. Your question for the next guest. My question for the next guest. <sighs> if you were given the opportunity to empower someone to live their dream, what would you say to them to motivate them to go for it? Okay. That's great, it. great, great. Um, we, we are slowly coming to the end. I mean, it always goes fast. I, I, a couple of questions I was planning to ask you, I, I, we have to skip for today. Um, I'm going to ask you a question that I asked to India as well, you know, last, last week. Um, and that is, um, yeah, I should ask exactly the same question. So, you know, if you have to choose uh, you know, for your band between a trio, a quartet, or a quintet, what would you choose? Oh, I would choose a quintet. Quintet. Okay. <laughs> then the next question is for me: If you um, are asked to put your band together of musicians who have passed and who are alive, you know, how would you uh, put your quintet together? 
Okay, so who would I want to play with? Mm-hmm. Um, wow. I would want to play with another life, right? Yeah. I, I definitely would want to play with another drummer. So I think I would want to play with wow. John Black. Okay. Um, and let's see. Piano player. McCoy Tyner. Uh, bass player. Oh, my God. Jaco Pastorius. Ooh, yeah. Yeah. And I love vocalists. Sarah Vaughn. Wow. So, as I said, <laughs> the end there, I, I would I would buy the ticket tomorrow for that concert. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, that's great. Um, yeah. So, so um, before we close, um, is there any question that I should have asked you, but I didn't? No, I don't think so. But if you come up with any other questions, you know, you can email me. <laughs> I'll answer them. <laughs> yeah. No, we we better make another appointment for later. You know, maybe maybe around the time that you um, uh, release your your next album. So. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, let's talk about uh, that. And I wanted to say also, sorry for your loss. I didn't get to say that, you know, when we were talking earlier. So. Um, yeah, yeah, we are in the same boat. Eh? I mean, you know, there are days that you are, are rational about it in terms that you, you, you know, yeah, you know, parents will, if everything goes according to how it should go, then ultimately we'll lose your parents. Um, yeah. But it doesn't make it easy. So. Easier. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Um, no. I, although you you think that you might be prepared, you know, I lived abroad. Uh, so I'm originally from the Netherlands. So my parents were in the Netherlands. So every time I would fly away, I, you know, it was a kind of little voice saying, you know, this could be the last time your parents are getting older. So, you know, and which ultimately happened. Um, yeah. I, I, then I arrived too late. Um, but you think are you prepared, but you're not. <laughs> so basically that's my message for, for folks out there. So, you know, um, there are the good days and bad days. Um, and and that can be on the, actually within the same day. Um, yeah. So, yeah. You know, then you you smile because you think about something, but it also makes you sad, but it makes you happy. So. Yeah. Um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. What what you know what 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 our um, uh, listeners will not see is that and I've told you this. Um, you always have when you make music, you make you smile. You have this. You really. Yeah, infectious, infectious. Uh, I don't know how you explain that, but I always I'm, get so happy when I see you play and when we talk also. So, so, um, yeah, so keep on doing what you do. And, and, uh, Thank you. what I really appreciate <laughs> about your uh, drumming is, is, uh, you, it's not, it's not only about rhythm, it's so melodic, it's so, it's so many different layers. It's, uh, I think it's incredible. So, so, uh, yeah, for for you out there, if you haven't never have seen her, you know, she has said uh, play live. You should check that out. And if you can't see her live, then check out her albums in the music. So, thank you so much, she said, and and uh, thank, thank you, you for who you are thank and you, good luck with everything you do. All right, same to you, and thank you for you know being. I'm gonna call you a philanthropist in this area, you know, with 
with the media, the podcast, it, it takes a lot of energy. So you're definitely appreciated. And thank you for continuing to do this for, for the community. Thank you. for listening to Walk, Talk, Listen. Please check us out on 100mile.org or follow us on Facebook or Instagram.